0: Pack Church, thank you. Please be seated. I, w- I want you to know that I honor your pastor, Pastor Zenzo, Pastor Michelle. They are a tremendous couple with a tremendous vision. And my wife and I, my daughter and I, we believe in them with all our hearts. There's a work that is being done in and through this house in the Medford area that is second to none. And so you have a lot to be proud about. And so we want to honor them this morning. Amen. Um, also want to honor my wife and my daughter. They've taken the back seats. That's where usually where we sit in the movie theaters. So, you know, old habits die young, but they're here. They're my team. They're always with me and it feels good to have their support. Amen. Well, I, wa- I want to share with you some teaching this morning if that's okay. There's some many segments in that. Your pastor is a very disciplined man. I don't know how he prepares for 30 minutes. This clock that's right here has got a thing ticking down on me and it's in my head. And so if I seem to be accelerating and stuff, it's not because I'm a fast talker. It's just because I need to talk fast. This clock is competitive. I'm a competitive person. And so let's get started. Amen. So I want to I share with you this morning a scripture out of Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 29. Technodemon. I don't know what just happened. There it is. Matthew eleven twenty five through 29. Scripture says that at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for that is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The title of of this message this morning is is The Greatest Teacher, and and I'm reminded that that when I was in first grade, I had a teacher, her name was Miss Cox, and Miss Cox came up with this invention to kind of gauge how good or bad kids were. And so she made us make these things out of crepe paper with our names on them. And then there were these strips of crepe paper that were one one foot long, so they were 12 inches long. And if you got in trouble in class, you had to cut an inch off of that piece of paper. Well, I'm ashamed to say that I didn't do well that year. Some kids, they never took any inches off of their paper. I think I went through three or four. I had to keep replacing them. And and so by third grade though, I became competitive at school, so much so that that on the night before a test or a night before a a, a quiz in in studying, I would physically have butterflies in my stomach. Any of y'all ever had that? You're studying for something? You know what I mean? Last night I was going over this word and that thing's still in me. There's still that tension about, am I performing? Am I I gauging? Am I going to be evaluated? And so I share all that is, is because natural to us as human beings is a comparative evaluation of one another and where we're at. Everybody with me? And so... You know there's there's a lot of history to back that up. There's a there's there's a and, and so what I want to do is is kind of accelerate through some. I want to give you some pictures of those kind of events that happened biblically. And so first off, we'll look back in Genesis and in in this comparative behavior existed with Cain and Abel. Cain uh, uh, when comparing his offering to Abel's offering and God's response to Abel and his response to him, he got so disjointed with the comparison that he killed his brother. As we go on through the Bible, uh, we see that there, when Israel compared themselves to the people of Canaan, where we, we know the story, the 12 spies went and the 10 spies said, In comparison to those people, we're a little tiny. We're like grasshoppers and there's like giants. Uh, there's no way that we can compete. Or no way that we can compare or there's no way that we can go and take over that land. And so comparison established itself in an entire nation's evaluation of itself. Later, when observing the practices of other people, the nation of Israel said other nations have kings. And so in comparison, we don't want to just work the way that we're working. We want a king. And so God gave them King Saul. And so I, I just want to share that, that whether it be spiritual, and then how many know that there's people that think they're spiritual giants? Amen. You know them people that think they're super spiritual? And they compare spirituality? That don't happen here, no? All right. How about social? How about people that compare themselves socially? How many have ever looked at somebody and said, I wish that what they had? Who made a Mercedes better than a Hyundai? I don't know, but we're convinced, right? How about educational or economic or political comparison? All these places are places where we expose our comparative evaluation, not only of ourselves, but of the people that are around us. We measure each other up all the time. Men do it in their way. Women do it in their way. Countries do it in their way. Institutions do it in their way. And yes, church and church folks do it too. Many people feel uncomfortable coming to church because they feel people will compare the clothing that's worn. Amen. There have been structures that have been created over time that saying some things are appropriate and some things are inappropriate to church. That there are some fashionable statements and other fashionable. Modesty should be taught at the home level, but in the comparative piece, we begin to make ourselves either affirmed or uncomfortable. And that unhealthy tension can begin to reside inside of us. Amen? So, One of the reasons why I think the Bible is a really good teaching tool is because it's it's true because of this. Because it tells the good, the bad, and the ugly. It tells about the highlights and the lowlifes. It tells about the good things that people do and the bad things that do. If it was a manipulative piece of writing, it would only tell you the good. It would only share that which it wanted to influence But what it does is is it shares all of it. And so what we want to do is is see that comparative reason is a part of our lineage. It's a part of our makeup. And then let's start to unpack this piece of scripture that Jesus is teaching, remembering he is the greatest teacher. And what I want to do is illuminate today some of the structures of that teaching and then land us on what his big point is. Is that all right? So in Matthew 11:25 25 through 29, he said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. What Jesus is doing is prefacing his point by indicating that there has been and is a lack of ability to hear and see in the present structure of religion, in Jesus's time, religion had become so oppressive. It had become so domineering. It had become so comparative and rule-ridden that there was no life in it. And so He's saying to you that you are, you're going to reveal your real truth to those that don't appear to be as learned, rather than those that do presume to be learned. Amen. And so there is a new spirit that has to be adopted. There's a new thing. There's there's religious structures that exist in our day and time that are so exclusive to certain patterns of behavior that it disinvites whole other peoples. And God's kingdom, remember this, is not exclusive. It's inclusive. God's kingdom says all come. No matter what point in your journey you come from, You're all invited. That's a huge thing to know. And so he says that, uh, he goes on and and says, now this is the backstory to it. He says in in, uh, Matthew as well, he says, Among those born of women there was not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Kingdom of heaven is, no one in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, and did not, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking, and they say here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Woe! unto unrepentant towns. He goes on to denounce certain towns that had not acknowledged the miracles that Jesus had worked within them. And so what he's doing is, is he's exposing the sides. He's beginning to establish what the truth is, not what the perceived or operational truth of the time is, but the truth that he's going to introduce to these people. So he says, what did you go out to see? What did you leave the structure of where you were to come and hear this man John? Was it to hear something that is bent easily by the winds? Did you come to hear something that is just something that will be here and then it bends over? Did they go see a man dressed in fine clothes? John was none of that. Did you go to see a prophet? The answer is yes. And paraphrase, Jesus says, not only did you go see a prophet, but you got your money's worth. Then he uses comparative illustrations, likening the present generation to children playing in the marketplace. The imagery that's exposed there is is that here are these people who presume to be so educated and so above everybody else. He compares them to children playing in the marketplace. Think about what he's saying. In the marketplace, there are tables where there is real money exchanging. And he compares these people saying, you're like children. You're playing underneath the level of what's really happening. You're singing songs and you're saying things, but you're not doing something that has anything to do with the real economy. He uses it comparatively. Many of us are dancing and singing, but do you know that an elephant will dance if you play the right song? The truth is is that there are economies in the kingdom of God that far supersede any of those physical activities and any of those things that we do. And so he's he's dismantling an oppressive leadership. He's dismantling a leadership that has caused people to compare themselves in such a way that it's affected them negatively. How many here have felt the church, have felt the oppression of the church compare you negatively and you say, I don't know if I want that. In this season and time, there have been so many churches that have established that, especially institutionalized churches, that we can feel that pressure. We can feel that. I'm here to tell you this morning, that is not the kingdom of God. That is the hand of man. The kingdom of God brings liberty. It brings freedom. You walk out from those structures and begin to understand there's greater economies of faith and hope and grace and love that allow us to connect at a far richer place. And then finally, Jesus uses prophetic imagery in comparing the amount of opportunity to the amount of response. And so he tells these cities, you had the opportunity to acknowledge these miracles but your response was is that they weren't real. You had the opportunity to confess that I'm real, I've been there, you've seen me, you've touched me, you've interacted with me, yet you still deny the power. And so there is a curse that's upon that and it says that it will be far greater for other cities that had acknowledged it than it will be for you. How many have ever seen a lighthouse? You know, a lighthouse is, is an amazing structure and it performs an amazing thing for, for those, uh, for ships that are out at sea. Basically, a lighthouse is set in a prominent place and it sh- provides a beacon of light that allows ships to navigate from a stormy place into a safe place. But what many of us don't know is, is that in this time, From a lighthouse, there's a series of buoys that are attached to it, and the buoys all have a light on them as well. And now a seasoned captain will keep tweaking his boat until all those buoys line up with the lighthouse. And when all those buoys line up with the lighthouse, they know they can proceed on that path to safe harbor. If he doesn't spend the time to line up all those buoys, then he's subject to going a bunch of different directions. Jesus is doing that same thing as he begins to teach his people about the kingdom that has come to earth. And he's lining up these truths and he's lining up these facts so that folks can begin to navigate into a safe harbor rather than into the place that they have been. So he says to them, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And and no one knows the Father except the Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So scripture teaches us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and none come to the Father except through Him. How many of us are brave enough to admit that sometimes in order to get to better, You have to disengage from the stuff that you're doing now. Have any of us ever been stuck? Have you ever been at that place? Paul was there. He says, the sin that I don't want to do, I continue to do. The stuff that I know isn't right for me, I continue to do it. I I get to this place and I go, boom, backwards, 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 but for the grace of God. But Paul also says in the book of Romans, there's a time where we have to submit the pattern of thinking that we've been indoctrinated into to a superior pattern and no longer be conformed to the patterns of the influence and the practice of this world but be conformed by the transition or by the renewing of our mind through this word. Amen. So therefore Paul read in Paul's letter like the statements Jesus is making here, they're invitations to deconstruct the present pattern of thinking in exchange for a superior pattern. So if we're going to believe that on the entrance of Christ that what's coming for us is better than what we had, if we're going to believe that that's a transition, then what we have to do is basically dismantle all the ways we've done business, and then get out of the box. We have to to deconstruct the way that we think of religion because religion will suffocate you. It will handcuff you and begin to operate in the superior system that God has that together we can do more as we leverage our love for each other, our concern for each other, and our belief in each other. Three things that are very important to say to each other is is that I love you. A love establishes an economy that I'll give you even though you're not going to give me back. I believe in you. How many have not heard that in a long time? Many of us have not heard those words said to us in ages. I believe in you. And then even beyond that is to tell each other that we trust each other because most of us harbor a distrust of each other that doesn't even allow our conversation to be pure because we say things to you but we don't trust you. We limit the amount of information that you can have about us because we don't trust what you'll do with the information. That's not a real relationship, and those are taking place in the church, and they're taking places in marriages, and they're taking place in business, and we wonder why we can never connect with one another, because we won't tell the truth to each other. The truth will set us free. may not make us feel good, but it will set you free. (laughs) Amen. And so he says, come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's saying, come learn from me. In fact, what he was saying was, calm down. I'm going to tell you the truth. You've been overwhelmed by the burden measure up. He was bringing the closing argument to his case against what had become the status quo. He was lining up the ship of faith to come into port safely and he contrasts the burden that they have endured to the rest that he will bring. Then he uses a metaphor of those times We don't understand this metaphor because many of us haven't grown up in that agricultural-type atmosphere. Many of us have grown up in an urban atmosphere, and so when we think of yoke, we have no understanding. We we understand that it is a device, we understand many things, but we don't understand the complexity of what he's saying in the context of his time. And so what he does is he speaks of an exchange, one yoke for another. So either way it goes, you're going to have some yoke on you. The prophet Bob Dylan once sung a song. It said you, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil and it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. The statement is, is that somebody's yoke is on you. Jesus's statement is, is, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. The burden of the devil will become heavy because its intent is to bring you to a place of death. So, before I close, I want to look about some truths about what a yoke is. First, the yoke teaches that you can't measure up. You'll never measure up. The yoke was designed for two animals. The instrument was used to bring the strength of two animals together in order to pull a load that was impossible for one animal to pull. And so stop trying to measure up in yourself, by yourself. You will never measure up. There's no amount of good. There's no amount of service. There's no amount of work. There's no amount of tears. There's no amount of blood that will make you worship or make you measure up. It will not do it. It's just time-consuming, and what it does is is it breaks our spirit. The yoke says that what we need is, is two. And the greater of the two is Jesus, because they always yoked a strong animal and a weak animal, an old animal and a young animal. In effect, what it's saying is is that they would yoke an older animal that would teach a younger animal. The intention is, is that the joining of the two would move more than one alone. That's the imagery that's being shared here. We all think that we have to do it on our own. That's why we try to incubate stuff for so long until it's about ready to blow up. At my church, I have folks that write in for alms oftentimes. And they have critical situations that hold so much weight, so much pressure, so much stuff. And they're saying, can you help me with my rent? I'm getting ready to have to go to to a housing court in order to to, to, uh, get this thing off of me and I'll ask them, when do you need to be in housing court? Tomorrow. Why did you hold the weight until the day before? Why didn't you raise your hand three months ago you knew you had the problem? Because we don't want to expose it until the last minute when it's critical. And then when we've placed it in a thing where we're modern or where man himself can't help, we shake our fist at God and say, God, where were you? God is there all the time. We have to develop the change in our thinking to be able to share and and create a space where truth can live amongst us. Jesus was speaking to a group of people who had been trying to carry an impossible load. What it was then was the Jewish law and other standards that were added to the law uh, and they were added by the religious leaders. In the language of the New Testament, the word labor carried the idea of working to the place of exhaustion. The term heavy laden indicated that at some point in the past a great load had been dumped on a person and the the individual was continuing to bear the load. Today I will guarantee you sitting in this auditorium there are you that have been carrying loads that were dumped on you by generations before you that are not yours to carry. The statistics are not yours to carry. The testimony is not yours to carry. The weight is not yours to carry. And there is one that will intervene in that weight that will yoke himself with you and make that burden light. The terms, when they're added together, describes a person who's exhausted from trying to carry a burden that was assumed. Many people carry that today. The present. The pressure often manifests itself in strained relationship, depression, stress, feelings of inadequacy, and other conditions that tell people that they don't measure up. I don't measure up. I can't go there. I'm so depressed. I don't measure up. Those people aren't my people. Jesus is breaking all of that. A lot of people seek to get out from the burden by trying harder, climbing a career ladder, impressing other people, taking on more jobs, adding new spiritual disciplines, all kinds of manifestations of those feelings, underlying all those efforts as a drive to win the approval of God and others. Jesus used the yoke to show people the impossibility of that measuring up to God's standard. It continues to speak today. That truth is alive right here in this room. No person can make a grade high enough to merit heaven. Attempting to do so is frustrating and exhausting. Nothing you do or say can get to heaven. The only confession that will get us to heaven is he is the gate. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Without that entrance, we don't get there. Second, the yoke teaches that Jesus does measure up. The two animals on which the yoke were placed was different. One was always more experienced. Third, the yoke teaches us that we can measure up with Christ. We can accomplish all things through Him. He provides the strength necessary for people to respond. In essence, this easy light load which results in rest is the difference between doing things for Jesus, and doing things with Jesus. It's a context. Many of us think that we're offering our time for Jesus. I'm doing this for Jesus. The light load comes in doing it with Jesus. Jesus, I just do this with you. I don't have nothing better to do but to be with you. I've tried all these other things to do, and they don't measure up, but with you and doing it with you, increase can come. If we want to really lay a hold of the prophetic word that what is coming is better, most of us will have to come to the crossroad of faith that asks the hard question, am I weighted down? Am I bogged down? Am I held down? Am I under the pressure to perform according to an image of Christ that is everything but liberating? He came that we may fully experience a liberty that the world cannot give. And if that's you this morning, in your heart you need to make a declaration of independence. and You need to release the burdens that have held you down. I want to share a a short story before we begin to close. The late Henry Morehouse was an evangelist, and he was once in a very trying circumstance. His little daughter, who was paralyzed, was sitting in her chair as he entered the house with a package for his wife. And going up to her, he kissed her. He says, where's mother? And she said, mother's upstairs. He said, well, I have a package for her. And the daughter said, let me carry the package to mother. And he said, Minnie, how can you carry the package? You can't even carry yourself. With a smile on her face, Minnie said, oh no, Papa. You give me the package. I'll carry the package and you will carry me. Taking her up in his arms, he carried her upstairs. Little Minnie and the package too. And then the word of the Lord came to him. And it said, this is just his position in the work in which he was engaged. He was carrying his burden for the lost, but God was carrying him. We're all in that same position, beloved. Every one of us are in that same place patterns of this world want us to believe that we can compete, that we can study harder, that we can be more prepared. And inside of us, many of us, there's a nervousness wondering what that grade will be. How liberating to know that in the relationship with Jesus, he never expected you to measure up just to show up just to raise a hand and say listen whatever you need isn't that what the prophet isaiah said he said he said, listen man it's me and all the people i hang around with we're, we're we're people of unclean lips we don't we're not worthy of anything but if you'll send me i'll go that's the posture i'll do it with you The greater piece is is the damage, and I feel this all the time, that we as the church have done relationally in obstructing people to come to a full, unimpeded relationship with Jesus. Somehow indicating that there are postures or measures or behaviors that they have to adopt in order to be a son or a daughter of the kingdom. I want to demolish that thought today in your head. I want to demolish that thought in your heart. And I want to establish that Jesus loves you right where you are. There are complicated social conversations and economic conversations and professional conversations that we need to go through. The reason why they're complicated is because many of us are not mature enough to have the conversation. We do the same thing that we rail against. When we get to the place where we don't know or can't process it, we make a rule. And in making a rule, we cause a law. And when you cause a law, something has to die. Scripture says that the letter of the law kills. But Jesus came to give life and that more abundantly. He didn't come to eliminate the law. He became to fulfill it. Understanding that the law is to guide our happiness, not to govern our misery. And so this morning, in the weight of what has been said, and in the weight of the imagery that has been shared, the appropriate response for those of us that are weighted down are to cast our burdens upon Jesus. That's a collective thing that we can do, but it's a highly personal thing that each one of us needs to examine and understand where is it that I have to unchain myself from those things. But even greater than that is the opportunity for those here today that may have never, have never confessed Christ as Jesus. That is the most important thing. The most important thing is is that, is that somebody today hears a word that liberates them from that heavy laden load and enters them into the kingdom of heaven. Thank God for a word that simplifies it and says, those that confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord, they shall be saved. And so this morning, if that's you, And whether it's your first confession or a confession that you've made before, God is interested in relationship, not religion, with you as a person right where you are. And so if that's you this morning and you want to declare Jesus Christ the Lord of your life right where you're sitting, just raise your hand. Continue to leave that hand raised right where you are. We have those servants in the house that want to give you a gift. And in that gift, we want to give you uh, 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 those things, that tools that will help you not only understand God's word, but invite you to join us on that journey. For the rest of us, if you'll indulge me, we want to practice that which God's word says. Please just... Follow with me in this confession that we as a house will declare the Lordship of Christ. Father, I thank you for your word. For it is eternal and it will never be removed. All your promises are yes and amen. For those who have been called according to your purpose. This morning, I respond to your call, and so as an act of my will, I ask Jesus to come into my heart to be my Lord and be my Savior. Jesus, I believe that you came to this earth, that you lived, that you died, that you were buried, and on the third day you rose again with all power in your hands. Come into my life. Guide my steps that I may be more like you. I surrender my past and embrace my future in Jesus' name. Now give Jesus a hand clap for the work that he's done. Thank you guys so much. It's been an honor, a pleasure. It's been humbling to share with you today. Thank you again.
1: Thank you, Pastor Josh. Can you just thank him one more time for sharing his Sunday with us? Man, thank, amen for bro, breaking chains and chains that will be broken as we leave this place. Amen. Um, so we want to bless you. Um, so we, it's Thanksgiving, yay. And we have all kinds of yummy soups right outside of these doors for you, for free. Who doesn't love Free. And there's, so once you exit these doors, there'll be a line. So please feel free to get in line, grab some soup. And then there's some Thanksgiving yummies as well. Um, And we just want to bless you as you go into your week and have a happy Thanksgiving. And we will see you here next week. Have a good one. Shake it at night it right when my soul gets tired. Oh, oh, oh. Feel like I'm losing that fight. Right From the day we're born, we're scarred and torn. We've been scared to sing now loud, but we don't care. We don't care. No-